0: noble dairy queen's new summer blizzard menu is back and it is stacked dive right into the summer celebration with their new peanut butter cookie dough party blizzard you can sink your red spoon into their world famous dq soft serve filled with delicious chunks of chocolate chip cookie dough swirls of creamy peanut butter topping and peanut brittle crunch with sprinkles If the peanut buttery flavor isn't your jam, their fresh take on cobbler a la mode certainly will. Say hello to the Picnic Peach Cobbler Blizzard. You can also let your taste buds crumble with the ultimate cookie blizzard that features Oreo, Chips Ahoy, and Nutter Butter pieces. Dairy Queen knows everyone loves a good comeback, and fan-favorite blizzard flavors Frosted Animal Cookie, Brownie Batter, and Cotton Candy have made their triumphant return. Summer Blizzard flavors are now available at your Noble Dairy Queen stores with locations in Kankakee, Burbank, Moments, and Mantino. Happy tastes good!
1: Thankful for the way these stories hold on To the
2: lifetime we won't get back rivers carry on
0: Hello and welcome to Kankakee Podcast, where we talk about the people and places of Kankakee County. I'm Jake Lamore, and we are welcomed by two lovely ladies today. We have uh, Deborah Barron, or Deb Barron, and also Rhonda Showers from Project Sun, and we are going to learn all about what Project Sun is. It might be an organization that you've read or heard of, but maybe have no idea what in the world. Project Sun is, and that's what we're going to dive into today. So welcome, ladies. Good morning.
1: Good morning, Jake. It's
0: uh, great to have you both here. Thank you for taking time out of your day to be here this morning. So I guess maybe first we just talk about what each of you do, I guess, at Project Sun. And Deb, you can go first.
2: All right. Let let me give you a little history. Uh, Just this morning, I was reflecting and thinking that almost to the day, five years ago, a group of community people got together and established what became Project SUN. And Project SUN is an acronym for a strong and unified network. So I got involved shortly after the initial community planning group formed, and I am currently the
1: project director for this initiative.
0: Okay. And then, Rhonda, where do you fit into the puzzle?
1: I am the family liaison. So I primarily work with family and family engagement and activities that revolve around that.
0: Okay. So Project Sun's only five
2: years old? Right. Yes. They're was a a planning period where we actually formed as the result of a request for proposals from the Illinois Children's Healthcare Foundation to bring communities together to strengthen or establish systems of care to meet the needs of the whole child, but particularly their mental health needs so that we had a, a better integrated system. Because if you have ever tried to obtain mental health services, behavioral health services for children, adolescents, it's a maze to get in. And, and I remember our early years of planning and having big sheets of newsprint on the wall and trying to figure out how does somebody access services. And it depends on what age the child is, what school district sometimes that you live in, what doctors you go to. and. Um, that's not a problem that was unique to Kankakee that is a national problem and so the Illinois Children's Healthcare Foundation decided that this was going to be a priority for them and so we formed a planning committee and in early 2018 we submitted a proposal for a planning grant we received that grant and spent the rest of 2018 putting together information with the help of a Behavioral health needs assessment with students at Olivet and Dr. Amber Rizzadori's social work classes. And we're fortunate enough to become one of five communities in Illinois who were selected to then receive a six year, $2.2 million grant to actually implement that plan for establishing a system of care to improve mental health services for children.
0: So is Project Sun just Kankakee or is it Kankakee County or is there just a certain area that Project Sun provides services to or how does?
2: Yeah, the grant uh, only covers Kankakee County, the entire county. Okay. So we are countywide, but we are housed in the community foundation of Kankakee River Valley which serves Kankakee and Iroquois counties, as well as a part of the application process, both the Community Foundation and the United Way made a commitment to sustain some of what we establish during this six-year period. And we're just finishing the third year of the initiative. And so we've got three more years. And the intent is that as we look to sustain this initiative, we will cover both Kankakee and Iroquois counties because the service delivery system is so integrated. And there's so many people from Iroquois County who come to Kankakee for services. And um, because both of those organizations, as well as our courts, our schools are all connected so we we feel bad when people will call and ask for help and we say well you know we we can't help you right now but we direct them to other resources that we're aware of like the can i help online information database which has information about both Kankakee and Iroquois counties.
0: So I guess to give a little backstory, then, obviously, you did point out that before Project Sun came around, or the reason why Project Sun is around is because it was hard to connect kids with the proper mental health resources that they need. So I guess kind of give an example of what those situation, like a situation of what people in... Illinois, or our area in particular, would run into as far as trying to get why they couldn't get the help that they need? Or
2: Illinois is well underserved with the number of mental health professionals for our population based on the national ratios. Kankakee County has about half of the mental health professionals that the rest of Illinois has. So we are grossly underserved when it comes to psychiatrists. There are just a couple psychiatrists that treat children and adolescents in our county. And And if
0: you call them right now, they're like, yeah, we're not accepting new patients, right?
2: (laughs) Yeah. Or there's a three-month waiting list. Yeah. And so Rhonda can talk about some of those stories and the families that contact us Uh, what their situations are and what they are running into.
1: Well, you asked kind of backstory, but it's still a current story. So we we definitely have a lot of work to do. What we're seeing primarily is families that are reaching out for help, but they may not reach out even to a mental health professional first. Maybe they've gotten some information from their local school about a behavior issue or a focus issue in grades. And now they're trying to find mental health because the child had a concern, come back with a screening. And so they're given a list or a number to call, but the waiting lists are long or there's no new patients being accepted. But the problem is still happening. They're seeing issues at home. The school is now saying, you know, they're trying to get an IEP for their children. They're going into these meetings trying to establish best practices for their child. And oftentimes they feel alone in that. And sometimes that relationship can feel us against them, you know, parent against school. And I want to point out, not all behavioral
2: health problems result in an educational learning issue. So an IEP is not an appropriate plan for a child that may be experiencing a certain type of behavior that doesn't really impact their academic performance, which is, which is a problem that we encountered early on, that pediatricians, family physicians who are not trained in behavioral health would have families come in with these issues that something may have been picked up at a school And the doctors would write a prescription to the school that they wanted an IEP assessment done on the child. Now, because they didn't know what to do with the child. And they would bring these to the school. Well, when a school receives a request for an IEP, it starts a time clock and they have to follow certain steps within certain timelines. And I remember one of the first meetings I had with school psychologists and social workers was. We are not a pharmacy. Doctors cannot be sending these prescriptions to us to do these assessments because they have no idea what complications that cause for us when this child really needs mental health assessments, not academic IEP type assessments. So that was an issue that that we recognized and that we've tried to recognize by working with physicians by saying, Refer them to Project Sun. Let us talk to the family and explore options and not create this confrontational relationship between the school and the family because also some families don't follow up because they don't want the school to know that their child has a behavioral health issue and become labeled special ed.
0: So, there is still a, right, there's that a stigma, that stigma attached yeah. to, to that, right. And just to explain for anyone that doesn't know what an IEP is, it's individual education plan, which I guess you obviously you guys could explain that better <laughs> than myself. I, I've kind of dipped my toes into that recently because that is something that we were possibly pursuing for my son at mm-hmm. one point. So I have learned just a little bit about IEP and how that works. And Deb, what you were saying about how that's kind of what physicians, they just kind of automatically write that out. Oh, that's what they need. But maybe it's not an education impediment, impediment. Maybe it's more on the the mental health side and they need to to see some type of mental health specialist to get examined or, mm-hmm. or to, to the get assessment. tested. Yeah. Assessment, yeah. thank you. And treatment. Yeah. I'm and, sorry, Rhonda, what were you going to say?
1: Oh, well, And that was just kind of that highlights how you can't even get through a story of kind of one case study of the complexity of it. It's not just an unawareness on the family's part. The whole system is very siloed. To where you have all of these professionals providing wonderful service, excellent service in their lane, completely unaware of the processes of how they connect and what the family needs to know. And so it further complicates the family's journey of accessing services by getting misinformation. And it's so difficult to reach out for help when you're in crisis. It's very difficult. It's very overwhelming. Day-to-day, you're just trying to get through the tasks at hand. So when you encounter information that was wrong and you finally went for help, how far that can set you back just because the day-to-day struggle can be very difficult. And so Project Sun as a whole is working on not just helping parents get in the driver's seat, which is our primary goal, to help parents be the expert voice on their child but it's also to bring that whole system of care together out of their silos to work together to understand who does what and innovate together as well to address gaps in the community. And a key piece of
2: that is establishing a shared language. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, Jake, if you went very far down that road, you would see schools speak one language, primary care and pediatricians speak one language psychiatrists, psychologists, mental health people speak another language. We had a we had a judge as a part of our initial planning group who said, I, I just can't keep up with all these acronyms. I, I can't understand all of you know, this jargon that each silo, each system right, brings the to the table.
0: The education system has a bunch of acronyms, that the mental health yeah. portion has a bunch of acronyms. And the school has a bunch of right, acronyms. Right.
2: And if you are a parent, you're already intimidated because none of us want to think our child is less than perfect. And, you know, what? You, there's there's a whole bunch of guilt, shame, yeah. the, and, you know, all of that stigma stuff.
0: And want to get that out there that we can all relate to that. We all have kids here. A lot of people listening have kids, too. But really, it's not that your child is insufficient. They are just different. And being different is not a bad thing. Right. You can be different and still excel in life as long as you are properly supported. Exactly. Mm -hmm.
2: And I believe every child should have an IEP because every child learns differently. You make the perfect and, but point. But obviously
0: our school system is not designed that way.
2: Unfortunately <laughs> so the, the not. The public
0: school system anyway. You know, that's yeah. a, a whole nother thing. Yeah. But I guess to continue down the path of what we were talking with earlier with an example of you're talking about the physician saying, oh, well, they need an IEP. Take this prescription to the school and they're going to evaluate them for an IEP. What, in fact, you were saying they should instead – the, the physician, the pediatrician should refer them to Project Sun. So what does happen when the physician or the pediatrician says, oh, you know what? Check out this organization. They can help guide you in the right direction. So what happens when someone does walk through the door and they're like, hey, we were told that our son, our daughter needs an IEP because they have a hard time paying attention or focusing on one thing for a certain amount of time?
1: Well, the beauty is they don't have to walk through our door. They okay. can give us a call. Then we even have an email that can be sent if they prefer that as well. But they give a call, and they'll talk to Carla, our wonderful receptionist, or she's our administrative assistant. And she'll do a, just a real brief intake with them, and then she'll give them my information. And as the family liaison, then I'll contact the family and do a broader intake with them to discuss what's going on. I'll help them kind of look and maybe discover where some other contributing needs might be. And I'm also going to talk to them about their voice as a parent. And I can, if it's a quick fix of just connecting them with services, I can help them make those phone calls. I'm not just going to give them a list of, unless that's what they want, I can give them a list of resources. I can also help them contact those resources because sometimes that process is difficult. If they want to go further, I can even connect them with a peer parent who can meet and support them in some of the day-to-day things and just understanding the, the journey
0: a pure uh, a pure parent is mm-hmm. like it's pure a mentor. support a it's mentor. like a mentor okay. pure
1: support who's been there somebody who's had to navigate this system of care that can just pro- provide emotional support maybe some best practices and advice and encouragement to keep going when it gets tough.
0: Can you talk about any certain cases that you've seen or dealt with? Obviously, you're not going to name names or anything like that, but uh, any particular cases that you have seen come through your door and what you end up doing to help them? How do you end up connecting?
2: Yeah, well, I I want to just first preface with we do not provide any direct mental health services. Right, right. but you point them to we the... We navigate. Yes. We help them navigate the system. So, mm-hmm.
1: do you want to talk about an example? Most of the peer services have been provided before I came on staff. I came on staff in April. So, I don't know. You have some parent peer parents that have been activated before I came on. Yeah, We... We
2: get calls from grandparents, other caregivers than just parents, questioning the behavior about a child. And as Rhonda said, we will talk them through it. Sometimes it's an issue related to gender identity. And they want to be supportive and they suspect that maybe the the child is questioning their identity and they want to know how to talk to them about it. So it's not a mental health issue per se. It could become a mental health issue if that child does not feel supported in exploring their their identity and feeling comfortable with their family to really identify who they are. We get those calls. Carla, we're so thrilled to have her because we get a number of calls from Spanish-speaking people, and the parents have been told something from the school, so we're able to act as a translator and speak to them in Spanish to help get resources, which are so, so limited. Of Spanish speaking mental health providers in our county. That is a, a gross need, as well as therapists of color. And so, cultural competency and trying to promote and build competency within the workforce as well as awareness within the community, is a big issue because people of color and Spanish-speaking individuals have even more limited access to services than white people. So those those are some examples of families that call us. And, you know, we've been told that the black community and the Spanish-speaking community have even higher stigma, of mental health. But when people know that you have people that they can talk to, people that look like them, they've been very open to come and seek help. So I think that it's it just runs the gamut from somebody whose child has been in the child service system up to about 18, 21 and they're beginning to transition. How do I do that? We've had grandparents raising grandchildren, and the parents aren't in the picture looking for support. you know talk about feeling all alone. Your peer group has all raised their kids and they're gone, and you're now dealing with a fifteen year old who's out of control and and that individual's dealing with abandonment issues because the parents aren't there and it so we have we we try to do things to support caregivers whether it's the parent, the biological parent, foster parent, grandparent, aunt. By offering, we do a monthly craft class, which is really a support group, an informal support group. They come, they make a little take-home thing, but they also just commiserate with each other and share
1: share the journey. And that's actually led by a peer caregiver. She's a grandparent.
2: Yeah, who, who was in the situation of, raising her grandson. And he's now graduated from high school and and gone to live with his mother. And so she just had to fill in there when his mom wasn't able to, to be there for him.
0: Yeah, those situations are very tough. Yeah. So what are some of these resources, though, that you end up connecting these families with? Children are naturally drawn to art and the creative process. For them, it can be a form of expression as they explore the materials, gain confidence, and feel a sense of competency as they create something based on their own ideas and efforts. That's why Little Me Studio in Burbank created the Big Kids Art Lab for ages 5 to 12. Little Me Studio crafted this safe space for your big kid to slow down, be in the moment, and be comfortable making messes while trying something new. Big Kids Art Lab meets every Thursday from 4.30 to 5.30 p.m. at Little Me Studio across the street from Olivet Nazarene University in Burbank. Studies indicate that art making has so many positive effects for the brain, body, mind, and heart. Enroll in one class at LittleMeStudio.com or sign up for the entire session and save. LittleMeStudio.com to sign up for Big Kids Art Lab. Make sure you follow Little Me Studio on Facebook and Instagram.
1: When a parent would meet an IEP, then I would help them connect with their school and their school social worker to um, get a conversation going there if there's not one started already. And I would also see where they're at in getting a therapist if they're not getting treatment yet. And that, you have to take a look at their insurance and availabilities, transportation. Do they not have adequate transportation? Are they able to access some sort of online telehealth? Is that a, a possibility? And then, I again, I go over their whole needs. Are, are all the needs being met in the home? Anything else that's causing you stress day to day that's making it difficult for you to actually pursue mental health help for your child. And then I will always connect them. I'll follow up with an email, follow up conversations. Have you connected to Can I Help? To look up, you know, mental health treatment as well as basic needs. And you can find pharmacies on there. A dentist, you know, whatever they're they're needing as far as services, they can find on that Can I Help dot org, and then I also introduce them to NAMI, which is another conversation we can open up with. But it's a tremendous resource for families. So um, NAMI, NAMI stands for NAMI is the National Alliance on Mental Illness. So it is a national organization. It's a hundred percent peer led. Every person you encounter through NAMI has either their own story of mental illness recovery and or supporting a loved one with mental illness on their journey. And so I am a NAMI member. And I'm a trained NAMI support group facilitator for family members. And our NAMI Illinois chapter is working with us. We're working to bring NAMI back to Kankakee County and establish an affiliate here. But in the meantime, parents can access online support groups through NAMI Illinois. So I get them that information, the value of peer support. Hearing from others who understand the struggle with very few words, folks that have been there, getting into those support groups provides that opportunity to be able to speak about the struggle you're going through completely honestly. Because when you share what you're going through with someone else locally, let's say, you're always going to protect your loved one. You're going to protect your child. You're not going to air out everything that you're dealing with, right? When you attend a NAMI support group, you're able to freely talk about how it's impacting you, and you're also able to hear other people's stories and the solutions, how they're working to navigate care and health. And so I, I always refer families to NAMI.
0: Okay. Yeah, that's super helpful to have that. There's no intimidation of going to a counselor's office and having that. And obviously, we all need that, too. But mm-hmm. it, sometimes it's easier to start in a support group like NAMI right. to be able to do that first, just to talk to someone else that has been through the exact same thing or something very similar. Mm-hmm. And then you're able to open up about what you're going through. And then hopefully, eventually, you do make it to other resources like seeing a therapist or right. whatever else needs to be done.
1: And then I'll go through kind of how to navigate looking for a therapist if they don't. I mean, I will go through that with them anyway. And again, I'll make those calls with them if they prefer. But even just discovering what sort of therapist you need.
0: That's the thing. Too. A there's, challenge. there's so many different mm-hmm. types. And then also I was. Told uh, at least I think this is a good tip, and this is something in because I've seen several therapists and different uh, mental health doctors since I was about ten. I want to say, and it never once crossed my mind that maybe you should sit down and have almost like a interview
1: with them
0: before actually saying, "Okay, I want to see this therapist." It was just recently brought to my attention that that was a tip that you should do like a free 30 or 15 to 30 minute, almost like a consultation mm-hmm. with that therapist to see if you feel like you're comfortable with that therapist. Because everyone, obviously, a therapist, we don't often see them as a human being, as which we should. Every therapist is going to be different because they have a different personality than the next therapist. Mm-hmm. So it's all about finding someone that works for you. So that's something that clicked in my brain, and I'm like, man, why didn't I think about that all those years ago, all the different therapists I've been to? Why didn't I think of... It just might have saved me a little bit of grief. But that's
2: not part of the process. And, And that is a typical problem where people will come to us, they've tried other people, or somebody on their behalf will come to us and say, They really need help, but they've had a bad experience, and so now they don't want, they don't think, you know, there are people that don't think mental health can be treated, that just get your act together, you know? Like oh, God. You know, I can't mean, can't you, right? The, I, the classic, I was,
0: can't you just. It, it's all do in this? your head, you know? Yeah. Yeah. yeah,
2: it is, but I need help navigating. <laughs> need help,
0: <it>. yeah. So, <laughs> and, um, so I'm, I'm sure that's probably something you promote too is hey, do uh, some type of, of consultation or interview with that therapist to see if they click, right? Well, I mean, because
1: right. oftentimes, we do it too, right? You you look at this professional as the expert, and it's a very intimidating relationship an, an intimidating space because we feel judged. We feel we're on the hot seat, and we don't know what the process is going to look like. So I always counsel families, this therapist is there to serve you. You're the expert on you. You're the expert on your child. You have the power in this relationship. You You are not looking up at this therapist, they're sitting across the table from you wanting to help, wanting to serve your needs. And so be completely honest. And if it's not working, they're going to want you to find someone that that will serve you better.
0: Yeah. And it's the similar process. If you're going through a medication mm-hmm, mm-hmm. process too. If you're if taken, and it doesn't matter if it's a mental health drug or not, it could be for your cholesterol.
2: Right,
1: right. Um,
0: sometimes that first one doesn't work.
2: Right, and you have mm-hmm.
0: to try another one. So sometimes it is that way with therapists or counselors or psychiatrists, psychologists. Same thing. It just doesn't always always work. So
2: I, I also want to add. We have another parent liaison that we works more on a consulting basis with us. If a parent does want to have someone go with them to sit in an IEP meeting, that is a parent's right. They can bring somebody with them. Mm -hmm. And so she has decades of experience being an advocate with parents. And I also wanted to point out, we hear most about IEPs, which is the education plan. But there's also something called a 504 plan. And a 504 plan refers to Section 504 of the Americans with Disabilities Act. And so 504 can deal with a hearing impairment, visual impairment, some physical impairment, but it can also deal with behavioral impairments like ADHD, which is attention deficit disorder hyper hyperactive disorder yeah, yes and that that does not necessarily impact our academic performance in fact in some ways may be helpful in some ways when channeled in the right direction but that's where especially a lot of young boys get in trouble in the classroom because first of all boys are more active than girls. Biologically, I don't know the whole physiology of it. And so they get in trouble as behavior problems. Well, they really have an attention deficit issue, and the teacher needs to make accommodations for that child. So you'll hear the school, you'll hear the parents talk about accommodations as opposed to treatment, that if you say, Billy can have a fidget and play with that, while he's listening, he will listen better than if he's just trying to sit there and yeah. pay attention. He's
0: got something to kind of occupy mm-hmm. that fidgety part. That fidget, kind of yeah. like how I'm holding <laughs> this stress ball right now. Yeah,
2: we, we've given we've given Jake a brain.
0: <laughs> yes, I have a brain stress ball that says "Project Sun" on it, and I, I've been holding it since they gave it to me. I don't know. I here, here's the thing. I don't know if this is an ADHD thing, but I do find comfort. And whenever I'm sitting down and I'm recording an episode of Kankakee Podcast, I have to have something in my hand. I don't know what it is. It's like, a, I guess it's a comfort thing. But whether it's a pen or it's, you know, a squishy little brain, Uh (laughs) I find that it helps me.
2: Well, and you see that more and more if you go to workshops and adult learning environments, there will be toys on the table. Could be silly putties, slinkies, brains, fidgets that it does somehow help us focus when we're listening to keep our attention on something else by using that energy that yeah. we, we need to channel.
0: We need to channel that. So there's no uh, there's no shame if you have to do that.
2: By not at all. So. In fact, I, I'm the yeah. wonky one. Uh, <laughs> and I just give some background so that people know they're not alone. They're not unique. That. In two thousand and nineteen, the American Academy of Pediatrics came out with the report that mental health disorders affect one in five children, and that mental impairment now surpasses physical disorders as that create limitations for children so that is a staggering number and in our community that amounts to about 10,000 children
0: in the county in in the the county County. County.
2: well let let me back up on that there are about five national averages and we don't have good numbers on how many children even are receiving mental health services but based on national averages we estimate that about 1,250 children or about 5% of the population are receiving intensive mental health services from more than one provider. So it might be a doctor that's prescribing medicine and then a community-based clinician, a therapist that's providing counseling services or a school social worker or psychologist. And that's the group that we really are does, helping to communicate with each does other. Does
0: occupational therapy fall under that too or is it that could. different? It could.
2: Occupational therapy actually is an outgrowth of mental health services where these therapists realize that we need to do more with people than just talk to them and we need to help them do things to do better. And in fact, we provide families uh, with a self-care brochure for signs of caregiver stress and some things to do that we did in conjunction with Governor State's occupational therapy students had a placement with us, and they developed this brochure and, and did a program. Uh, so, yes, occupational therapy is very much a part of mental health. My treatment. son
0: goes to occupational therapy, and I feel like it. he's been going since he was two. And I feel like that is really helped him going to occupational therapy.
2: We do estimate that about 15% an additional 15% or 3,750 youth have a diagnosable condition that would benefit from some form of mental health treatment but it's not the severe mental health impairment that would cause them to potentially be hospitalized or institutionalized but that some type of help. Unfortunately, of that 15%, a small fraction actually are getting the level of support that they need. And then we estimate that an additional 20%, another 5,000, so total of 10,000 students have some type of mental behavioral health concern that would benefit from less formal interventions like Maybe occupational. Uh, occupational therapist being part of a, a group, even a grief counseling group, uh, kids dealing with divorce, uh, you know, not just death of a, a loved one. But
0: they do say divorce, divorce is like a death because it's the death of a relationship. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So uh, family away in the service, family member incarcerated. Those are all things that don't require that high level master, PhD, MD degrees to deliver mental health services that we really are focusing right now, and that's more the side that I work on, how do we expand this workforce to get more mental health providers in our community, more mental health services, so that the earlier we identify a problem, the more effective. So if your child started at 2 He's on a much better road than if he waited until he was in kindergarten, had developed some problems. And so often children, maybe will have a speech problem and can't communicate. Yes. That then becomes a behavior problem because they're frustrated. Yes. And they get angry and they hit people. And we
0: went through that, too, and, and still do a little bit, I feel like. But he he was uh, going to speech therapy uh, at a very young age, too. Yeah. And he had echolalia. Which is where, let's say, I ask him a question and say, how was your day today? He would say, how was your day today? He would just kind of repeat what I'm saying. And it would. I, I would literally have to ask him a question multiple times in order to get an an answer and not just the same. The
2: repeat. Yeah. yeah.
0: So we're able to get past that with speech therapy and, and whatnot, too. So it's, yeah, it's.
2: And you just see how that unlocks his ability to learn as he enters the formal schooling system. And if you had ignored it or you had been ashamed or in denial, you're hurting your child by not letting them get help as soon as a problem is recognized. And so we do believe that through informal support groups, as well as formal groups. We're working with our mental health providers in the community to expand payment options. Project Sun will be paying for some group therapy services this coming year. That's great. That it won't matter what your insurance is. Right. You know, if you are, you've seen a therapist and they feel that group treatment, which Many will argue group treatment is even more effective than individual treatment. But in America, we think it probably individual is the, better. It
0: depends on the person, though, right? I mean, well,
2: I, I'm not a mental health professional. <laughs> I'm a sociologist, you know, so mm-hmm. I look at things from the policy side of things and the system side of things. So I can't answer that question. But mental health professionals have told us that in many, many cases, group therapy would be more effective, but we tend to privatize everything and feel that... Keep it internal. Yeah. So we're looking to do that because 10,000 children in our community could benefit from these services. That's 20% of the kids. And how can we do that? And so we've got a number of things in the works we're Working with a company to develop an app on our phones. You want to talk a little bit about? Can I help? Oh, well, our app. And not can I help, but our app to help families. It's a coaching and.
1: Yeah, we've hired an organization called FamilyWorks to help us develop an app for our community. So we've got all our stakeholders. So Parent Voice is going to be very important, as well as the network of providers and and professionals and adolescents. The um, Youth Advisory Council is super excited to help us develop it. So we did pinpoint our target families, our target audience for this app, will be families who have recognized the need for mental health interventions for their family, at least one member, and are seeking services and frustrated by a wait list. Those services are not immediately available. And so then this app would be presented to them, ideally by the provider, as can't take you at this time, here's an app, you know, while you wait on a wait list, or just sending them to us at Project Sun, and this would be one of the tools that I can set that family up with immediately. And so this app will be a way of the family accessing mental health training, understanding. It will not be providing therapeutic services. It's
0: just kind of to help you get through that period before you're actually able to get those services that you truly need.
1: Yes, there are things the family can begin working on right away. So we're working with all of our stakeholders to identify what are those things that would be helpful immediately. And so they'll navigate through that on their wait list. We've kind of thought Deb had the neat idea of even at an amusement park, you know, you have that, you're going through the line and you've got that app that's, you know. (laughs) You feel like you're moving, you you know, like you're you're not just
2: standing there waiting, Mm -hmm. but the illusion of movement. Yes. But it's more than the illusion. Mm-hmm. It, it, it will be tips. It will be videos. It will connect them with support groups, with NAMI groups. Yes. But so that you don't just feel like you've hit a brick wall and you're standing there Waiting and that waiting. You've got
0: absolutely nothing to help you with in the meantime. Mm-hmm, yeah, yeah. That... a
1: little bit of leadership and coaching of to identify points of pain in your life and things you can do right now. Goal setting, making sure you're still moving forward as best you can. So we're really excited about this as, as a way of, again, putting parents and families in the driver's seat instead of feeling at a loss, waiting on the system to serve them. Yeah. And the other group that we've identified is those who
2: are curious. You know, you're just exploring. You're not ready to go see a professional, but you have questions and you want to learn more about a particular anxiety, eating disorders, depression. Those are some of the most common afflictions for adolescents and children. Mm -hmm. And either you as an adolescent or a family member want to know aren't quite ready to go see a professional. They'll be able to explore things and and get vetted information. Now, people, when we began making the decision, do we want to invest the money to develop this app, said, well, you could just Google stuff, but that's not going to be vetted. This information... The people that we're working with are highly trained mental health professionals. Yeah,
0: you're taking out that step of well, I don't know if this how accurate this is or if this is really what I need. I don't know about this website, if I can trust it.
2: Exactly. You're taking
0: out all that stuff and saying, here we cut out the fat. This is the stuff that you can trust. This is
2: trust. Exact big word. Trust. This is information you can trust. We're very excited. Should be launched. Early next year, we'll be able to access it through Can I Help, as well as they'll be able to access Can I Help through the app to access those local resources, as well as we hope that all of our partners in schools and healthcare and social services will refer families to this app as something that will be very helpful to them. So it's a a way of expanding services when we can't just click our fingers and produce more mental health workers. But looking at these innovative ways, how do we expand services as well as promote? I mean, and one of our goals is to promote the People going into the mental health field. And so Rhonda mentioned we work with the Pledge for Life Partnership and the Kankakee Health Department in supporting a youth advisory group. And we encourage individuals who either have experience with behavioral health issues or want to explore a career in behavioral health, that they become involved with the youth advisory group and help their peers really serve as peer advocates to them, but also as a way of encouraging young people to come into the field. And I'm going to take us on another little journey of a goal One of the reasons that we have such a shortage of mental health workers is that we have very low pay rates in Kankakee County. And we have a number of people who come out of Olivet with a bachelor's in social work. We are very close to the U of I and Illinois State who produce master level social workers that will come to Kankakee County and work to get the hours that they need to get certified and licensed. And then they move on to communities where they're going to make more money. And that's a serious problem, as well as the Medicaid system grossly Underpays the providers, and so if you are a Medicaid provider, you need to have some other type of fundraising donations, some other unrestricted income to help fill the gap.
0: Yeah, that's kind of like what here locally. It's what Hippocrates is that Mm -hmm. one?
2: That's the well. That is the physical health.
0: Oh, that's physical health. What's is it, Dean? The Helen, Helen Wheeler, Wheeler Center. Helen Wheeler Center. Center for Mental Health okay. is
2: our community mental health agency designated by the state, and they they don't have closed. They have not closed intake, but they really struggle to fill the positions. I know they have a number of vacancies because people leave to go places where they can make more money. So one of the Functions. One of the goals of Project Sun is to look for other sustainable resources to expand mental health services. And one of the things that we're working on investigating right now is the passage of sales tax, a half cent, a quarter cent that would be used to provide behavioral health services. And so we're looking into... All of the, you know, how do we make that happen? Do we have to have a petition drive to get it on the ballot? Do we have to have the county board pass a resolution to get it on the ballot? And is it the right time? You know, is it ever the right time to ask people to pay more taxes? (laughs) Yeah. And so many of our conversations are, we're never, you know, people are never going to approve this. But really, you can't afford. Two and a half cents, you know, I mean, it's a a really nominal amount of money that people would be paying out of their pocket for those items that are covered by sales tax and yet would have such benefit because we're just talking about youth here.
0: This isn't even adults.
2: This this isn't even adults. And, you know, listen to us. The three of us, I think, are pretty typical members of the community I've been in therapy yeah Rhonda as a parent has experienced this you uh, your child yeah. I mean so this touches all of us this isn't about those people right this is us <laughs> well, <Yeah>. it's about <laughs> you yeah, so yeah. we it,
0: mental health touches every every mm-hmm. one of us in one Ex- way or another exactly
2: yeah. so that is going to be one of our big initiatives as we go into the Second half, I I think I mentioned that this is a six-year project, Yes, and we are approaching the second half. And we've done, I, I feel, a strong job of identifying the needs, putting some strategies in place to address those needs through Rhonda's efforts, With the caregivers and bringing NAMI to the community, the app for families, working with our providers in some novel ways to, you know, and and it really was our providers that came up with, if I know I can get paid to do a group of eight or 10 people, that frees up seven slots that of individual one-on-one that I can be making sure that my patients are getting the service they need. And they've been wonderful in talking about, we're not here to compete with each other. We know the need is there. Mm-hmm. And if I know that this group is offering a program on depression, I will encourage my clients to go there. And, you know, mm-hmm. just really, sometimes I don't think the collegiality of providers in Kankakee County is recognized.
1: They're incredible. They
2: They are. I mean, they, and and we have a, a work group, a mental health workforce development work group that is coming up with these ideas and, you know, what's an equitable pay scale for doing this kind of work so that, because I've learned as not being a mental health professional, Insurance companies negotiate confidential rates with providers, so they're not really allowed to share how much a particular Insurance company pays because they might pay you one amount and pay Rhonda a different amount and me a different amount. I mean, it's just a can of roaches, not even worms. I mean, mean, worms, you know, serve some purpose in compost. But roaches, roaches, I don't know. Um, (laughs) I have yet to find a roach use. But it's so... So it's also complicated, the whole funding side of it. So don't be uh, surprised when you hear that we're out there asking people to cough up a few half pennies. Uh, Mm -hmm. But we feel that with that kind, and and Iroquois County already has a, a mental health board that levies a property tax. We do not feel that a property tax is the proper way to go. And, and the Iroquois tax was established, I think, in the, in the 70s? 70s. Yeah, yeah. in So they have publicly funded mental health services for a long time in Iroquois County. And Kankakee County, it's time for us to to make that commitment, too, to make these services available at one point. I was working with the juvenile probation office and they were spending over a million dollars of county money for mental health services for individuals who were in the juvenile justice system. And that was, and in many ways continues to be, the only way that some children will ever get mental health services. And, And in our planning process... We talked to teens that are at the Regional Alternative Attendance Center for Behavioral Problems. Many of them are involved uh, with the juvenile justice system as well. And they told us that it was easier to get illegal drugs than to get mental health services. I think that's criminal. I think that is absolutely unacceptable. But they were right. I mean, they were telling us the truth. And there's such a relationship between mental health and substance abuse when people try to self-medicate rather than access the professionals that really can help them. And so...
0: Yeah, it's much, much easier to abuse a substance of some sort Mm -hmm. than to... Face your issue and, and get the can't. mental health support you need.
2: And, all about and if you don't skills. have insurance yeah, yeah. yeah and, and you don't have the skills, which right. is coping why yeah. the coping skills, some of those things we hope will be provided through group services, can be provided with paraprofessionals. They don't have to be necessarily all delivered by clinical people. As Rhonda mentioned the word, you know, we stress best practice. And what is most effective, it's research-based. But there are things we can do, but it might cost us a little bit of money out of our pockets, and
1: nothing is free. (laughs) Yes, that is for certain. We did not get a chance to um, talk about Just for the Fun of It. Did you want to talk about that? Oh, yes. I'm
0: so sorry. Yeah, no, that's that's fine. I I mean, there's so many things.
1: Yeah, I know, (laughs) I know. There's so many things. I know that she would really be upset if she didn't get a chance
0: to... So Just for the Fun of It. What is Just for the Fun of It?
2: Just for the Fun of It is a campaign that we launched this month in November with an open house at the Exploration Station, uh, the Where you unveiled a,
0: a new exhibit. A new
2: exhibit called the Feelings Room that promotes awareness about our social emotional skill set that we need to develop. You know, in some families, it's intuitive to have healthy social skills. We know uh, those skills are really almost more important than academic intellectual skills in terms of lifelong performance, relationships, jobs, satisfaction. You can be the smartest person in the world. And if you can't communicate well with others and relate well to others, you have all of that locked inside of you. And so I have worked many, many years on the soft side of the academic things that we now call social-emotional learning and social-emotional skills. And just for the fun of it is to remind parents, you need to take the time to play with your child. You need to have fun together. And we will be promoting research-based information around play therapy We're using a model called TheraPlay that is being used in a number of our schools to teach children in TheraPlay sunshine circles in a school. The number one rule is do no harm, stick together, rule two, and rule three is have fun because when we're having fun, you can't laugh and cry at the same time. And if you are laughing and you're having fun, it opens you to learning and experiencing and trying new things. So every month we have a newsletter and we will provide information on how to sign up for a newsletter. We want to have something in our newsletter about things that families could do, no cost, low cost. You don't need to spend a lot of money. You don't need to go to the amusement park in order to have quality time. We just have so many things available to us in our community. We have so many wonderful parks to just go and walk, use the playgrounds, just so many things to do. But we will be providing tips. We will be providing some classes. We did a demonstration with the Little Me Studio on a program that we're calling Play to Connect.
0: Oh, that's wonderful! And, Little Me Studio's is great. Yeah, so I'm glad you're working. And so we're with working them. with
2: them, with the Exploration Station, the YMCA, the YWCA, and daycare centers and stuff to expand the usage of this theraplay inspired model so that again we're creating shared language because so what's an example of
0: of theraplay then like
2: so theraplay is intentional interaction with your child and you will be encouraged and at the um Exploration Station, they still have, I think, some of these little kits that we left. But little things, doing silly things with your child. For example, putting a feather in your hand and blowing it to your child to catch forces you to make eye contact with your child. And it is so important that in our day of individual electronic devices, handheld devices, television, all, the screens, all those screens. All the screens, yeah. We're not looking at our children eye to eye and talking to them. And making that eye contact is so essential for building trust and building a relationship like I show you I'm caring about you because I'm looking you right, We're right in the eye, eye contact. and yeah. I'm not doing dishes and I'm not cooking dinner and I'm not watching my screen and
0: I am so guilty of all those things
2: (laughs) we all are and that's why we've launched just for the fun of it it is so important because parent-child communication is one of the most important relationships for building resiliency in a child and I don't care if you're Two years old, or you're 52 years old. That relationship that you have with your parent is so going to dictate your mental wellness. And so, whatever we can do, that is a high, high priority for us. It's a prevention, early intervention thing to teach parents how to intentionally interact with their child to build their self-esteem, to create a sense of trust that they will then be able to transfer to other adults in their life as well as peers and, and form trusting, loving relationship as adults with a partner. So, yeah, it's a passion of mine.
0: Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, like I said, I am so guilty of that. And just uh, just knowing, like a simple example with the blowing the feather and things like that. So with this newsletter, you're going to send out different ways you can theraplay, right, right? right? Parents or caregivers.
2: And theraplay, you know, it is a modality that is used by therapists. And there are... There's an extensive process to become a TheraPlay-trained therapist. And we are, again, as part of our workforce development, offering scholarships to a few mental health providers who want to become TheraPlay certified. We also are providing TheraPlay introductory level for paraprofessionals to do either the sunshine circles or other types of interaction, which is been used for a few years at the early preschool early elementary level but Riverside Hospital had their outpatient and inpatient staff trained in therapy they're using it with adolescents in the outpatient program their pathways programs so it's it's something that can be adapted for all age groups and next time we do a training you'll have to come Jake because yeah I'd it is that. so much fun to see people doing silly things like passing a balloon from one to another from your neck, oh you know, gosh. in a circle. <laughs> and and I've been in those with many community leaders who you would not expect to be <laughs> laughing hysterically. And the level of energy that it creates is what you can hear how excited I am. Yeah. I mean, it just
1: that creates energy and shared joy. Shared joy. It's shared joy, which brings attachment and connection. And no matter what you're going through that day, it, a little bit of silly is good for all of us. Yeah,
2: I yeah. agree.
1: I'd love to share about the Parent Advisory Council. Okay. Again, our, our main mission is to put parents in the driver's seat. And so we are partnering with an organization called Fridla. And it's Family Run Executive Developer Director Leadership Association, Association, something like that.
0: (laughs) Acronyms. Yes. All these acronyms. Gotta
1: love it. I hate (laughs) them. The idea being parents learning to sit on boards in the community. And find their voice as the expert on their child and on their family. And so they'll be receiving training of how to serve on a community board and hopefully for the agencies where their child or family is receiving services, but also to find their voice in those one-on-one meetings when they're advocating for their family and for their child. So these are Leadership executive level leadership trainings that they'll receive. And then we're also going to then enlist those parents on a number of initiatives for Project Sun where they can learn to serve as a peer parent mentor. They can be involved in NAMI in the effort to bring NAMI to Kankakee County, as well as putting on events of educational events for parents in the community called our Parent Cafes, where we'll bring experts on a number of topics into the community to engage with parents and not only provide a presentation on a topic, but also to sit and engage and answer questions that parents will have on those, those respective topics. So um, this Parent Advisory Council will also be a listening ear to parents and families when a decision needs to be made that will impact families and children in the community. So they will be running focus groups and sharing what they find on behalf of parents and families to those that are making decisions in our community. And we recognize
2: that parents who have a a child with a a mental health, a behavioral health problem, might not have a whole lot of extra time or energy Mm -hmm. and that life happens. So we are very open to people coming to the extent that they're able to become involved. Right. And sometimes you can do that for six months and have no hiccups at home. But then you've got to take six months off and step back. and But that voice, that presence is so important because... As Rhonda said, and we can't iterate enough that you are the experts. And and in education, we had a saying that we needed to move from educators being the sage on the stage to the guide on the side. And that same philosophy is happening in other human services where the professionals can help. But they don't live with you. They don't see your child every day. I mean, even I I was talking to a preschool teacher who said, you know, she's frustrated with parents who say, well, that's your job to teach my child how to behave. Yeah. And she says, I see your child two and a half hours a day. What are you doing the other, what is it, 21 and a half hours (laughs) that... You know, she said, I'm here to help you, but you have much more influence on your child. And so this parent advisory council is so important to the whole development of the network of mm-hmm. this strong and unified network, because the parents, the adolescents have to drive it mm-hmm. and not just rely on people who've learned things in textbooks and years of experience as well. But we all know it's very different what we experience personally than something we've heard secondhand from others. And so we, again, next year, we've got so much going on. (laughs) We have, we've just had a really tremendous growth in our staff. We've just added three more people, and we feel poised to take on this second half challenge of the work that we need to do to to now sustain and build something that will go beyond Project Sun. We we obviously do have offices that we work out of, but we really are not set up for people to come in for consultations. We encourage you to call us at 815-304-5933. And hopefully you've seen some billboards that we've had up uh, the last several months. And we'll continue to have some billboards around the county because we are a countywide organization. As well as please visit our website, which is org. is our website on that. At the bottom of every page, you can sign up for our newsletter. You can send us messages through that. Or you can email us at Project Sun at CFKRV. That's Kankakee, or well, it's the Community Foundation of Kankakee River Valley. And for years, I had to say that to get CFKRV dot <laughs> org. <C-F-K-R-V. laughs> um, so any of those ways, please reach out to us mm-hmm. by phone, by email, or our website. Okay.
0: Well, Deb Barron and Rhonda Showers from Project Sun, thank you both so much for being here today. I learned a lot of great things, and I hope people take advantage of Project Sun and support it, too. Yeah, so yeah. it's definitely something we need.
2: Make sure you do something fun today. I'm yes. going to do
0: something fun today. With and, your
2: child. With, right.
0: <laughs> yeah, when I pick him up from school, I'll make sure to put my phone down. A little more.
2: <laughs> a little more. <laughs> and little and more.
0: just everything else and and do something fun with him. So I always I always strive to do that, but it's nice to have these reminders. Right. Once right, in a while to just right. kind of keep keep me on that track.
2: And it All doesn't have to be a long time, just a few minutes of eye contact. Mm-hmm. Like I see you, I hear you, I love you. And that will go a long way. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Thank you, ladies. Thanks. Thank you. That concludes this episode of Kankakee Podcast. I'm Jake Lamore. Thank you so much for listening. Also, a special thank you to our patrons for helping make this episode possible, including Karen Bishop, Jake Lee, Jesse Arsenal, Dave Barron, Daryl Damper, Samantha Rocknowski, Lake Iverson, Travis Garcia, Jane Bostwick, Don Harrison, Simon Topless, Scott Wright, Kerry O'Connell. Jamie Race Joanne Barry Anthony Vicelli Eric Olson Carl Earps Jeff and Rosa Carroll Teague Dreenin, Sandy and Steve Twait, and Rose Lucky. Now, to become a podcast patron, go to KankakeePodcast.com, click on the Patron tab, and if you pledge $5 or more per month, you'll also hear your name announced on an episode. There's also other rewards like early access to new episodes or extended versions of episodes, uh, discounts on upcoming special events if we have any. Currently, we don't, but there's other uh, rewards uh, included monthly. So your monthly pledge is truly appreciated. Our goal right now is to reach $400 per month. And right now, we're about halfway from reaching that goal. So please sign up for the patron program today at KankakeePodcast.com. Our theme song is written and performed by Lupe Carroll and recorded by Daniel Bishop. This river